0: If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. That's where we're going to be working uh, for most of the morning, is in John chapter 4. We are um, addressing the go part of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Um, you know, making disciples, making followers of Christ is the, the great mission of the church. But in order to make disciples, we, you know, just logically speaking, you have to first go to those who don't believe. Um, and, and we do this with the good news concerning Jesus. Uh, last week, we worked through our mission statement. And that's what's up on the board here um, on the screen. Um, following Jesus by loving God, loving one, loving one another, and serving the world. And I talked about how that following Jesus is our emphasis. There are like four points here. The following Jesus is all about that goal of discipleship, uh, loving God, the importance of our, our, our walk with the Lord, particularly in worship. Loving one another has to do with our fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and gathering even uh, during uh, the, the week. And then this serving the world, and and this is the part where we, you know, I, I talked about this as a kind of a catch-all, um, but this serving the world is our outward focus. This is our reaching out. It may be just in terms of blessing. It may be in terms of just cultivating, uh, you know, neighborly loving relationships, uh, but it also includes the idea of this evangelistic enterprise, Uh, Jesus himself says that for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He uses this language of service in general to describe his entire uh, outward ministry. And so that's what we're doing here when we talk about serving uh, the world. Well, Christian evangelism has fallen on hard times for a variety of reasons, um, but something that caught my attention uh, was a study just uh, published last, well, in 2019 by the Barna Research Group. And Barna reported, quote, that almost half of millennials, that is 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hope that they will one day share the same faith. And this is compared to a little over one quarter of generation x twenty seven percent would agree with with that, and then one in five baby boomers um, agree with this and so part of you know what I want to do today is I want to talk specifically about going <laughs> this kind of evangelistic outreach that is part of the mission that uh, that the Lord that the Lord Christ has given to the church and um, and, and and within that, I want to, as part of this message, to to hopefully um, begin to persuade you that the New Testament is clear about this—that this is to be um, a, a part of our of the Christians' uh, desire of following Christ. Our passage today is taken from John chapter four, and, and in John four, we see a number of Samaritans evangelized primarily through the witness of a, well, I'll say the, the what we're given in chapter 4 is that the Samaritan woman's witness is kind of this trigger that leads these Samaritans to uh, find faith in Christ, to place their faith in Jesus. Um, and th- this witness of a Samaritan woman takes place after she herself has this remarkable memorable, deeply spiritual conversation with Jesus at a well, at Jacob's well. With that in mind, so this passage takes place after that conversation, and and this is kind of picking up, uh, this is kind of a postscript, uh, but it has a lot to say about the evangelistic outreach of the church. Would you stand as I read for the reading and hearing of the word of God? So this is John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading uh, verses 31 through 42. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, that is Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me? High King of heaven, we bow before your throne, bringing our humble petition that you would cause your spirit to flow in and through us like rivers of living water. Open our hearts and speak to us, encouraging us where we need to be encouraged, correcting us where we need to be corrected, and all this for the sake of your great name. Amen. You may be seated. So again, just to back up uh, a little bit, Jesus and his disciples are passing through the center, this kind of central region of Israel. It's called Samaria. He has just finished having one of the, you know, this amazing conversation with the Samaritan woman that he meets at Jacob's well. This is clearly a divine appointment. Um, this is a conversation that appears to, ha- ha- um, well, in the conversation, Jesus has, you know, indicated that he is the source of this living water, this water that leads to, you know, uh, eternal satisfaction. It's kind of, it's a mysterious way of communicating. He's gone on to point out things in her life um, that really only God the Spirit could reveal to him uh, about her her life in terms of, you know, just speaking from his human uh perspective, that he knows things about her. And then he goes on just... Explicitly to let her know that the Father is seeking worshipers, not just of the Jews, uh, but for um, there will be a time when all people uh, will come and worship uh, the Lord. And at the end of this conversation, he lets her know that the one speaking to uh, her is the Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of these ancient Jewish uh, prophecies and promises. It's a it's really a remarkable conversation. But it's in this context um, that Jesus speaks to his disciples about this food, this mysterious food that the disciples don't seem to understand, this food that, that has satisfied deeply the soul of Jesus. We're told that the disciples, you know, at the beginning of chapter 4, um, the disciples had gone into the nearby town, apparently the town of Sychar, uh, in order to purchase needed food, needed supplies, as they're, as, as Jesus and, and his followers, they're traveling from the south to the northern part of, of Israel, to the, the region of Galilee. And so they go into Sychar just to purchase food. And um, our passage has them returning to Jesus and inviting Jesus to eat. And Jesus turns the situation into a teachable uh, moment. In verse 32, Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Well, this is, you know, the disciples, they just purchased food. They're thinking very concretely, like, who brought Jesus, you know, lunch? Did someone stop at, you know, McDonald's and and, uh, bring him some food while we were, you know, away? And in verse 34, Jesus explains he's not talking about real food, not literal food. He says to them, my food, so he's just very direct, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, Jesus is experiencing this deep um, spiritual joy and satisfaction. It's a kind of satisfaction that's superior to the satisfaction of a full stomach. And what is it that brings Jesus such satisfaction? Well, it's the satisfaction found in accomplishing the will of his Father, uh, the will of uh, of the one who has sent him into the world as a kind of missionary evangelist. And in the case with this particular woman who has been so receptive to his message, she's tracking with what Jesus is saying, and he clearly sees that she is... um, well, she's like the you know the feel he describes as white for the harvest. She is you know just this fruit ready to to be picked, and 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 she um, seems to just eagerly absorb his message with understanding and with faith. So much so that she goes back to her town and she just spontaneously begins to tell people about this amazing conversation that she has had that the Lord has gifted her and blessed her with. And, and, and Jesus is telling his disciples, my heart is full. I, I, am, I am more than satisfied because there's a deeper satisfaction than that which food can provide. That's what he's trying to communicate to his disciples, that true joy, true satisfaction is fulfilling our mission, fulfilling uh, the will of God that he has for us in our lives. Seeing the woman's faith, it shows him um, uh, just that that the Lord is good, and he is rejoicing. Well, what is true for Jesus is also true for us. Just as the Father sent Jesus into the world, in the same way, Jesus says later in the Gospel of John, uh, as the Father sends me, I now send you to go and make disciples of all nations. This is one of the, the great you know, moments that any believer can have is when the Lord uses us in a powerful way in the life of another and to see their eyes opened to the grace and the love of God found uniquely in and through the person of Jesus and to witness a person place their faith and desire to follow Jesus with their whole, you know, their whole hearts and, and lives there are few things that bring us joy and satisfaction than being a part of that kind of experience. And so Jesus makes the connection between the will of God and our calling to be involved in the work of evangelistic outreach explicit in verse 35. He declares that those who want to do the will of the Father must understand, and these are my words, the priority of evangelism. In verse 35, Jesus um, uh, says to his disciples, Do not say uh, there are yet four months. Do not say there are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So Jesus is just talking about doing and accomplishing the will and work of God verse 34. Verse 35, he says, you have this saying, you know, four months until the harvest. And I don't know if that's a proverb. He's just looking around Samaria and he says, you know, that's what people are saying. Four more months and then they'll get to reap their harvest of wheat or barley or whatever it may be. Um, But he says, that's not the case, spiritually speaking, right now around us. Right now, the field is ripe. That's what he means by white. You know, the fields are white for the harvest. It's, it's just a way of saying they're ripe. The people are ready to, to trust me, to place their faith in God's promises and specifically his promises of a coming Messiah, of the Christ. That's what he tells the woman at the well. They are primed. The Samaritans are prepared to make a life-altering commitments. to, To believe and follow Jesus. And the implication of Jesus' words, however, is also this. Not only is the harvest ready, but a harvest, you know, just this follow the imagery here. The the analogy is: will a harvest harvest itself? No. You need laborers to go out and reap this harvest. And that's part of what Jesus is saying in this passage, um, uh, that there is a need uh, for individuals, followers of Jesus, to give of their time, to give, uh, to sacrifice their energy, uh, and to serve as witnesses, to serve as shepherds, to bring in this spiritual harvest. A similar passage comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And there Jesus says uh, to his followers, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The need is not for more people to harvest. (laughs) The need is not for more unbelievers, uh, for those who are spiritually lost. No, the the need are for people who are willing to make evangelism a priority, uh, evangelistic outreach Um, a priority in their lives. I looked up the population of the greater Cincinnati area. It is 1.754 million people as of 2021, okay? 1.754 million people. That means, and and I don't know what percentage of those are churched versus unchurched, I I don't know. But here's what I, I would say is reasonable. Hundreds of thousands of those are unchurched. Hundreds of thousands. That's a big harvest. That's a lot of people who need, um, to, to, to hear the good news and about the love of God found uniquely in Christ. This connects with one of our five core values as a church. One of our core values is simply this, reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's right at the core of who we aspire to be, who we are, reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is quite consistent with our our larger governing body. In our book of order, um, uh, 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 this is written. In terms of the church's work, the first duty of the church, that is especially with respect to mission, is to evangelize. By extending the gospel both at home and abroad, leading others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to provide for the nurture of that faith that all might grow in grace and in sanctification. This last week, I, I had the opportunity to meet uh, with our this is a regional representative for India Gospel League. India Gospel League is, um, one of the missions that, that ECC, that this church has supported financially for many years. And so they have a local representative. His name is Matt Garrett. And so Matt and I, uh, were able to, uh, meet together, have a little coffee and he was just, you know, he, he's, well, he's one, he's once Is ECC going to continue to support us? I'm like, Matt, I hope so. <laughs> That's our plan. Um, but he's also reporting on like the things that they are witnessing in India. And over the last year, you know, COVID has taken a toll. They've lost 75 pastors uh, from COVID. This is a nationwide ministry, um, but but he's encouraged as they see lay people and and uh wives stepping up and to help provide the needed leadership that has been left um and lost through the deaths of these pastors. But one of the things that I also found is interesting is is um so this region that works through matt is helping specifically focus on five villages in central southern india okay so um, a lot of the work he's doing is focused on these five particular villages and as part of their oversight of these five villages they 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 keep these metrics they they have all kinds of of things that they they keep track of. One of them being these evangelistic um, outreach encounters. Whenever you have an opportunity to speak specifically to someone about the good news about Jesus, okay? So they 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 record those encounters that people uh, in the churches of these five villages have. And what I found interesting is that they record not only those evangelistic encounters, but also at the end of the line, how many people, um, and this is across a six-month span, how many of those individuals end up getting baptized? Now, to be baptized, that's the New Testament's way. That's the public declaration of my commitment to be a follower of Jesus. Okay? I just found this really fascinating. Um, well, let me find this. He was telling me um, uh, that among the five, in a six-month reporting period, the five villages, uh, five village churches combined had 1,159 evangelistic gospel conversations. Okay, 1,159 gospel conversations. From those conversations resulted 31 baptisms, um, which again is that public declaration of faith in Christ. That, you know, if you do the math, that's about two and a half percent of every gospel conversation ended with the person committing themselves in such a way that they would be um, baptized. Now, what Matt told me is in India, it's actually easier than it is here to have these kinds of conversations. And in part because um, uh, in India, they have a pantheon of gods. And so to start a conversation about Jesus to them, it just sounds like you're just, you know, talking about a new God. I may not be familiar with, but it's not upsetting to me in any, you know, w- at least not uh, initially. And, um, so these conversations are easier to have, but it's also interesting that even in a, in a culture where it's, e- it's easier to have some of these conversations that it still is labor intensive. So that means for every 40 conversations that people are having, one are ultimately being baptized in a culture where it is somewhat easier. And my point in saying this is that um, this has always been the case. That, the, that this kind of outreach is labor intensive. And so it requires, you know, it begins with Jesus saying, pray that labors are raised up. For this uh, arduous work. But also, I rejoice in what India Gospel League is doing and what they are witnessing um, in the churches that they are working with. Well, not only is it the will of God that evangelism be a priority, but Jesus provides encouragement to those who labor for souls. And so, this is partly why this passage is just so fascinating. It doesn't go exactly the way you think it's going to go. So as a result of the woman's witness, like a lot of these Samaritans are, you know, it almost sounds like they're pouring out of the town of Sychar to come and just see who it is that this woman has been talking about, who she was uh, talking with as Jesus of, of Nazareth. And, and you might think, well, you know, this is like, um, it sounds like a Billy Graham crusade, you know, those old crusades where, you know, you just have this huge group of people and a number of them are going to place their faith. And that's exactly what appears to take place in this situation. And you would just think, oh, you know, right people, right time. That's what you, you know, just for whatever reason, these people are a little different than, than others. They're just ready to uh, believe But Jesus tells us something that's so important about why this is so. So this is verse 36 and following. Jesus tells his disciples, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. That is, yes, these Samaritans are ready. They're ready to sign on the dotted line. They're ready to be baptized. They're ready to believe and to, to follow. So he says, that is true. You're ready. This group is ready to be reaped. But then he continues. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Oh, wait a second. What is this part about Sowing. <laughs> Sower and reaper may rejoice together. Well, he clarifies. uh, Verse 37, for here the saying holds true. That is here in Samaria. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What's Jesus telling us? Well, these Samaritans weren't actually so different from other people, in fact. It turns out what Jesus is announcing here is that there had been missionaries and evangelists that had already preceded Jesus and his disciples, at least least with respect to this particular town. We don't know who these individuals may have been. Commentators speculate maybe this was John the Baptist. Maybe this was John and his disciples who had already made inroads. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is, in fact, the work we're doing now, I can hardly even call work. We're reaping where we did not labor, Jesus is saying. And the reason we're able to reap is because others have already gone before us and have done the the hard, laborious, exhausting work of cultivating relationships of planting seeds, of praying for these people for who knows how long, months, maybe years. And Jesus is saying the reason why these people are just so ready to believe is because there are those who have already done the hard work of sowing. And it also sounds like the people who did the sowing. They never actually saw, you know, they planted all these seeds, but they didn't get to be a part of seeing people's lives actually changed, people's actually being converted to faith in Jesus. Well, that tells us a lot about the process that people undergo as they make this spiritual journey. It isn't just like you flip a switch and people are like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to believe. No, it, it begins with planting seeds. It begins with the prayers of God's people. It begins with just modeling and imitating the love of Christ. It begins, in, the, in our context, with just getting to know our neighbors. Just cultivating relationships by just sharing a coffee or a dessert or a meal together. You know, one of the things that was just said at our um, uh, presbytery meeting, this last one that met... Um, one of our candidates was being examined and, and they were asking about, you know, how do you show practically the love of God, um, to others? And, and the candidate said this. I thought this was really, really good. He said, what I do is I invite my neighbors into my home so that they see my mess. <laughs> and then they realize they can talk to me. <laughs> That I'm not so different from them, you know. And so I, I thought, you know, that's really that's uh, that's somewhat profound. And 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 um, you know, you just let people see life really being lived, in in all of its messy glory, you know, whatever that may look like. And that, but that's planting seeds. When you invite your neighbors, really, the first thing you don't want to do is say, "Hey, let's work through the you know the four spiritual laws." That's not how you start. Oh, let me drag you to my church. And every time you come, I'm going to tell you, you've got to come to my church. No. We begin by planting seeds. How can I pray about you? You know, and, and maybe as spiritual things come up, you ask just these kind of, you know, as um, uh, Doug Pollack talks about these, these I wonder questions, you know, I, I wonder do you think they're really, you know, uh, what is the meaning of life? And, and you know, what's it all about? You know, just kind of putting the ball in their court, letting people wrestle and chew on these questions about life. And, and all you're doing is you're planting seeds and cultivating relationships, learning maybe how you can pray for a person, um, learning are there needs that maybe just as a neighbor that I maybe can help um, fill. Sowing precedes reaping. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is telling his disciples, we're getting on the tail end of of those who sowed. And he also says, but those who planted the seeds will also join us in rejoicing. Maybe not right away, but in the life, in the world to come, they will join us in rejoicing and um, in just celebrating um, uh, the reaping of this harvest. One of the key elements that led the Samaritans to come out of their towns to find Jesus was, in fact, the power of the Samaritan woman's witness, okay, her witness. In verse 39, we read that many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And then we just given this little sentence. What was her testimony? He told me all that I ever did. Okay, he told me all that I ever did. Now, there are two things here. The woman doesn't feel the burden to be able to answer every question. She, she's just simply saying, here's my experience. This is what I learned from my conversation with this man. And he was the most amazing individual. First of all, Samar- I mean, Jewish men don't ordinarily talk with uh, women to begin with let alone a Samaritan woman. So Jesus is already just like kind of uh, contravening these kind of social mores um, in, just to have this conversation at a well, a public well. Um, and she's just simply telling the people, yeah, this most amazing man, he told me about this strange water that if I drink, I, I won't be thirsty again. He told me things about my you know, my marriage history that I didn't think, you know, I, I didn't want him to know about, but he knew them and he still continued to talk with me. He told me about the, the kind of people that God is truly seeking, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then he told me the most amazing thing, that I am the Christ. And, and, and so all she's doing is witnessing now, part of this has an apologetic piece to it, and part of it is there's a reasonable. She's also saying that fact that he knew things also shows me that this is this is a person who God is working through. So there's that kind of apologetic at work, and and that's important for us too, as we think about you know as we talk with people. Why is it we do believe? Why is it reasonable, especially in a culture that believes increasingly that it is unreasonable? to believe in God. Why is it reasonable? And to begin to work through those kinds of issues. And then I I was just thinking about Doug Pollock and his I wonder questions. Back in verse 29, uh, this is also what she said to the people. She said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She doesn't tell them, you know, exactly, oh, you have to believe this is the, this is the man. She puts it in the form of a question. You decide for yourself. Could this be the Christ? Why don't you invest, investigate for yourself? Why don't you, in this case, go out and meet him? He is just outside of town. He's plenty willing to talk with you. In our case, it would be reading the gospels. Why don't you read for yourself the Gospel of John? And, and just, we can talk about it. Just, what do you think about it? The Gospel of Mark or, or something that, you know, not too long, but would um, help them just to, to begin to take ownership of their own thought processes and also for them to come in direct contact uh, with Christ himself. And then notice this final confession of the... Um, of the Samaritans. In verse 42, they say, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, speaking of the woman, for we have heard for ourselves. And this is their conclusion. And this encourages us. We know that this is indeed the savior of the world. No longer is this merely the witness of the woman, but now the townspeople who have come out have joined her in an agreement that this is the Christ. L- let me just put a little challenge um, before you. It's, it's based uh, a little on what I said earlier about the uh, work of the village churches in India. Okay. The village churches in India, they, they keep track of these, these, um, uh, these kind of outreach uh, opportunities that, that God gives them. What I'd like to do over the next four weeks, and I'll, I'll remind you of this as, as we go, but I would really like you, not in terms of, you know, having these gospel conversations, but to begin to put into practice the priority of this kind of outreach. And all I'm wanting to do, I think it'd be appropriate in our context as we kind of grow in this together, is to just, and some of you are already doing a bang-up job. You're already I mean, you have a gift, but for most of us, um, you know this is a, this is we have to push ourselves, we have to make it a priority, and that is in just praying, beginning with prayer for the people that God puts places around us who may not know Christ, and to think about over the next coming weeks how can I connect with that person or individuals? How can I just simply be a A demonstration of God's love for this individual. It may be just, and and I, I would hope most of these would just be getting to know you kinds of connections and a demonstration of just simply neighborly Christian love. This means inviting a neighbor for coffee or for a meal. Just getting to know them, sharing your stories with each other, and in sharing your story, I mean that is a place where you can just talk a little bit about your faith um, without it being in a, you know, uh, out of place. But you're listening, and you're just simply communicating God's love. It may be you're walking um, around your neighborhood, and you see somebody outside, and you just greet them, and and maybe it's a neighbor you know them. Just ask them, how are you doing? Hey, are there some specific ways that I could be praying for you? To me, that's a connection. That's a contact where you're just simply, it could be, um, uh, it, it could be just, um, an email or a note, or maybe it's like, you know, you see an opportunity to just serve your neighbor in a tangible way. Um, it could be any of these things, but what I'd like you to do over the next four weeks is to be intentional. And then to keep track, just like these, these churches in India keep track. And then, like, at the end of the week, I would love it if you would email me or, or uh, uh, our ministry assistant, Chrissy Yankee, just with the, the number of contacts that you've had. And if there's a story connected to one of those that really was meaningful to you, if you would share that little story. And I'm not looking for pages. I'm looking for sentences, <laughs> Something that I can keep up with. Okay, so, and what I'd like you to do is as, as this information begins to come in, I'd like to report back to you and to share with you some of what the Lord is doing through us, outwardly speaking. My email, which I meant to put, you can um, find, we have a church email on the website, but my, my email is rlanning at eccfellowship.org. Okay? landing at eccfellowship.org. Email me directly. Uh, and again, you can uh, email our, our um, uh, ministries um, uh, administrator, uh, Christy Yankee, as well, uh, if that's just easier for you. But, but I want to begin to see what the Lord is able to accomplish in and through us. Would you pray with me Lord, make us your true disciples, those who put into practice everything you command. Especially we pray that you might increase our love and concern for those who don't know you, who are spiritually lost. Show us your way that leads to life and grant us the courage to walk in it. And this we pray for the sake of the Savior who loved us while we were still sinners. Amen.